How about I pray and commit our time in the word to the Lord, ask him to help us. Our Heavenly Father, you, your word is a light to our path. It's a lamp for us in a dark world. We thank you for um, the Bible, the New Testament and this letter of Colossians and this little chunk of it we're looking at today. Lord, please be with us by your spirit. Um, help us to learn, help us to be encouraged Help us, yeah, to be encouraged from it in how to live for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure if you've, if, if you've heard the Bible taught, preached for a long time, you may have a favourite verse in the Bible. If you're a new Christian, you may have a favourite verse in the Bible. One that Christians like is at the end of Romans chapter 8. I want to read the last two verses to you. They're great words. It says this. Uh, So it's the Apostle Paul writing, the author of Colossians as well. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, he's kind of left nothing out, has he? (laughs) Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. They're great words, aren't they? Encouraging words. That if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is nothing, absolutely nothing in the present or the future that has the power or the remotest chance of separating you from the love of God that you've come to know that you've seen in Christ Jesus. The great words I imagine here this morning at church, most of us, most of you believe it. But life has a way, doesn't it, of causing us to doubt them. Our sin comes along, suffering, disappointments. You know, you just know what God's will is, but that's not what works out. Um, and so we wonder, is God really for me or is he against me? Has something somehow pushed in between me and God and separated us? Has that happened to you? It's happened to me. There's a young Christian woman I know who a few years ago now went off to uni. Christian girl, she joined a church. She joined a uni Bible study. At that Bible study she met a young Christian man. They fell in love. They got married. Wonderful. But not long after that, life started to go wrong. Her marriage was very difficult. It hit rocky ground. She'd actually grown up all her life. She'd had sickness. No one could really understand. She learnt in her first year of marriage that it was actually an autoimmune disorder. And in the first four years of her marriage, one disorder became two, became three, became four. She became very sick. After five years, her marriage failed. Now she has five autoimmune disorders. All this caused her to doubt God's love for her. Caused her to struggle in her faith. To waver in a walk with the Lord. She would say those words in, she would say those words in Romans are true, but she doesn't feel like it's true. That's the mood of our age, isn't it? Truth is now actually what you feel. It's not 
It's not what's proved, it's, it's not what's scientific, it's, it's actually what you feel. Well, this morning I want to show you why those words in Romans 8 are true. I want to show you why you can believe them, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of how you feel. I want to show you that you can and should believe them by reminding you from this passage of just who Jesus is. So if you're not there, could you turn to Colossians chapter 1? We're going to be looking particularly at verses 15 to 20. But just look up at verse 11. Uh, My hope this morning is that by being reminded of who Jesus is, you will, in the words of verse 11, be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, I have to encourage you that you'll find endurance and patience with joy. When you actually come to, I'm reminded now of who Jesus is. So who is Jesus? Why can we depend on him and trust him, regardless of circumstances or how we feel? Well, this passage tells us that Jesus is God himself. Just look at verse 15. It says, he, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Verse 19 For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is God. Now, it's worth noting that these these amazing words are written by Paul when he's in prison. He's not writing these words on some triumphal march to success. He's in prison. And these words are written to a small church that's really struggling because it's beset by false teachers. But regardless of their circumstances, Paul has great hopes for them and their church simply and precisely because of who Jesus is. It's what it's all about. This passage tells us that Jesus is God, he is God the creator, he is God the saviour. If you're into sermon outlines, you just heard it, Point number one, Jesus is God the creator. Point number two, Jesus is God the saviour. Okay? That's where we're going. So let's think about what it means that Jesus is God the creator. Jesus is God. Look at verse 15. Again, he, he, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. In Jesus Christ, the invisible God made himself visible. Um, really fully known in real space and time. Scripture teaches that God is is invisible, um, is described as immortal and invisible in 1 Timothy 17. Back in the Old Testament at different times, God came and visited his people and, you know, people, they went out to Mount Sinai, say, to meet God. Well, they knew God was there because of the earthquake and the fire and the smoke and the noise. Uh, Pretty scary. That's what happens when Almighty God shows up. It it all gets a bit out of control. Um, But the fact is they didn't actually see God. They just saw the effects of his presence. God God made it clear to Moses. He said, you cannot see my face because no one may see me and live. So by the end of the Old Testament... 
we have no doubt that God is real, that God is the creator, that he's real. We've seen what he's, we, we've met him, we, we, he's turned up a few times, um, he's saved his people, Israel. We've no doubt of the reality of God, but as yet, we've not actually met him. Well, Jesus changed all that because he was God come to us in flesh, God incarnate. That's what that word means. God come to us as a human being, a man. Verse 15 says that Jesus is the image, that he was the visible, physical, personal representation of God. And that's what those who met him said of Jesus. Uh, John says in uh, 1 John 1.18, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, that's Jesus, who is himself with God, he has made him known. Uh, in John 14, I think this is a kind of funny incident. Um, as you read through John, Jesus with his disciples. And Philip says to Jesus, look Jesus, um, and Jesus tell them all this stuff and you can just see him kind of going, uh, I'm not quite getting this. And Philip blurts out, he says, just show us the Father. You know, you know, in the words, we'll be, we really like hanging out with you, Jesus. You're awesome. But if you could just show us God himself, then we'll be satisfied. That's, that's what we're after. That's the ultimate. We want to meet God, Jesus. You're, you're pretty cool, but we want to meet God. Like, can you just do that for us? And Jesus replied, it's so simple that we can miss the enormity of it. Philip, he says, if you've seen me, like right here, right now, you have seen the Father. It's kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. Why? Because Jesus is God. The Christians in Colossae were being taught that Jesus wasn't enough. They're a bit like Philip. Yeah, Jesus is pretty good, but we need more. You know, though the false teachers were saying for the full, complete spiritual experience, you need... Um, you need more, a bit like kind of TV salesmen, but wait, there's more, you know. There are visions to be had and fasts to do and rules to keep to complete the spiritual experience. And this is how people still think about God. I, I caught an Uber the other day at the airport in Sydney. The driver was Muslim. I just love getting into conversation with Muslims. They love to talk about faith. And I, so I, I asked him what he believed. I'm getting better at it, you know, just... And uh, and so I said to him, I said, so you believe in sin, yeah, yeah, sin, you're a sinful man, yeah. I said, so how do you find redemption? And he, he, he went straight to it. He said, by practising the five daily disciplines. See, Jesus, he, Jesus wasn't enough, he knew about Jesus. Not even Muhammad was enough. No, he had to do more. Paul says, don't believe any of it. For one second. There is no sec, uh, next spiritual step. There's no spiritual upgrade. You know, Jesus Mark 2. There's nothing past Jesus. Jesus is it. Jesus is God. And because Jesus is God, he's bigger than any problem or doubt you can ever have. Verse 15 says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Now, it's not actually talking about his birth. 
It actually comes from Psalm 89 verse 27. It means that Jesus is the highest ranking one in creation. In Psalm 81 verse 7, he's the king that's above every other king, every other ruler. He's the greatest one. As God in the flesh, God incarnate, Jesus is bigger, more powerful than anything in all creation. And so he's, Paul calls him, you know, verse 18 um, refers to his supremacy or his preeminence. It's probably a heading in your Bible. There's no one better. I, I bet you all the blokes and 90% of the women here have watched The Bourne Supremacy, you know. Uh, what's it about? It's about Jason Bourne, the supreme undercover agent. Um, we've met many spies and secret servicemen in over the years, James Bond and all his, all his mates, but the supreme undercover operative is Jason Bourne. You just know, no matter how grim things get, how many bad guys line up, Jason Bourne will prove supreme. Well, the thing is, Jason Bourne isn't real. <laughs> it's just the story of a quite eccentric author named Robert Ludlam, right? But Jesus is real. Um, he's someone that people met and talked with, written for us in the scriptures. And he is supreme, no one better in all creation because he's God the creator. Just look at verses 16 to 17. Um, Look at what it says. How all-encompassing Jesus' sufficiency is, his supremacy. It's quite breathtaking. Um, And it it all kind of hangs off that little word all. All is a small word, but it's a very big word. So just follow through with me. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. You can't get much bigger than that, can you? Paul's saying whether you're looking at some a distant star through a telescope or you're looking at a human cell through a microscope, whether you're measuring it in light years or in nanometers, Jesus created it. He's saying that nothing existed before him, creation, time itself. Jesus is the creator of all this. And that whether it's a blue whale or a new baby, Jesus is the one who sustains. Sustains it. Jesus made it all. He does it all. So he is the supreme, the sufficient, the preeminent one. And I don't know about you, I believe this is true, but it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. We get to see in a way that no generation before us has seen just how extraordinary our universe and our world is. Remember David Attenborough taking me inside the burrow of a mud skipper, like this little just extraordinary. Jesus created all that. Jesus, that carpenter fellow from Nazareth, he is the creator God. That's incomprehensible, isn't it? Yesterday I met Andrew. Andrew's a nice bloke, pretty handy fellow, got, got a few skills. 
Just imagine if I said Andrew is God the creator. Andrew the musician, mechanic, whatever. He is God the creator. You look at it and you go, really? What? What? How can you begin to understand that? But you see, the Gospels illustrate this truth. That's what the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John do. They take us with others, with themselves, as people met Jesus and heard Jesus and saw what he did, saw him die and rise again. See, when it comes to thinking about Jesus, we mustn't mistake our comprehension problem for a truth problem. You know, it's incomprehensible that that fella, that carpenter fella from Nazareth, that's hard to comprehend, isn't it? But the evidence of the Gospels, the evidence of his life, the change in history because of him actually says, no, 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 it's just a comprehension problem. It's not a truth problem. I, I can't comprehend how Google can find things faster on the world wide web than my computer can find things in its own little box. I just can't, I, I cannot comprehend that. Have you ever worked that one out? I can't work it out. But it's true. And if I asked you a question now, you'd all Google it because you, it, it is true, you depend on it, you know that that's true. But can anyone explain it to me? Maybe someone can. I still won't understand. But it's true. I depend on it. Our lives depend on it now. Well, my inability to comprehend Jesus' power and divinity doesn't mean it isn't true. And that's what the Gospels do for us. The miracles in the Gospels are actually called signs because they point to the fact, they advertise the fact that this Jesus... This carpenter fellow from Nazareth is the creator. Jesus could control storms with a word. Why? Well, because he created the atmosphere. (laughs) Jesus could control demons. Now, here's a big thought. He could control demons. Why? Because he actually created them. Wow. Jesus could give a, a man born blind... No sight, born with, without sight, he could give him sight because he's the one who created sight. Jesus could raise a rotting man named Lazarus because Jesus is the one who, gave, who created him in the first place, gave him life and gave him a second chance at life. So Jesus is supreme because he is God the creator. There's something more here though, isn't there? Verse 16, all things are created by him and for him. Not just created by Jesus, but for him. So it tells us something. You want to know, you want to know what purpose is about? You don't want to find purpose? All things were created for Jesus. You've got to go and ask Jesus. Nothing is without purpose. Nothing is without meaning. If you want certainty in life, if you want to understand the purpose of life, there's only one place to go, it's to Jesus. The one who created you, who knows your purpose. See, only then can you be content and find joy in trouble because you know they're part of Jesus' purposes. Only then can you go to sleep at night because you know that Jesus is awake, you know. Um, 
Only then can you stop giving in to your fears by trusting the one who holds supremacy over the things that you're afraid of. It's a great truth. Jesus is God our creator. When we understand that, we realise we can endure, we can be patient. And we can actually do it with joy because we see that there's purpose in it. Well, Jesus is also God our Saviour. The passage, passage goes from creation to salvation. One of the big questions I think we, we all ask is if Jesus is God and if Jesus is good, then why is our world in such a mess? Why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much evil? The answer God gives is once again not a philosophical or a theoretical one, but a real one. The Bible tells us plain and simple that the spiritual beings, the human beings that God created rebelled against him. There is evil in the cosmos and we are part of it. Look at verse 13. There's a kingdom of darkness in rebellion against God and we humans joined that rebellion right at the beginning, right at the beginning of our Bibles. Look at verse 21. It says that all of us at one time were alienated from God where his enemies were evil in our behaviour. I wonder, do you have any doubt about that? Do you doubt that that's the case as you look around Brisbane and beyond out into the world? It's easy to see, isn't it? The chaos, the evil. But do you have any doubt about that when you look inside yourself and, and you know the ease with which you can revert to being the worst version of yourself in that much time? We know it's true, don't we? The Bible will not allow us, one thing the Bible won't allow us to do is to point at the evil and problems in the world without at first acknowledging that we are part of the problem. <laughs> we have the same basic problem. Human, human evil and sinfulness is real. And so we need salvation. We need saving. Our world needs saving. But the profound truth of scripture is that our sin is so deeply embedded in us, our nature is so broken that only God, our creator, can redeem us. Please write this verse down, Psalm 49, verses 7 to 8, and just listen to what it says. This is why God had to become a man. Truly no man can ransom another, or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is too costly and can never suffice. See what it's saying? The price of redemption is so high that only God can pay it. And to pay that price, God had to become a man. And he did that. Didn't have to. But he did that because of his loving and merciful nature. The passage says that he was willing, he was pleased to come and die and make peace through the cost of his own life on the cross. Pick it up with me, verse 18. 
Again, speaking of Jesus, and he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in him, in, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness, his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God became a man to redeem us, to reconcile us by dying for us on the cross. See there that Jesus is not just the firstborn of creation, he's the firstborn from the dead. He's our saviour. For eternity, Jesus is alive, risen from the dead. So you see, without Jesus there is no salvation, there's no reconciliation, there is no peace. If Jesus is not your head, you cannot be reconciled, you cannot be at peace with God. Verse 18, the church is, uh, they're those who Jesus has gathered, that's what church means. Those who make him their head, their supreme one. Our challenge is that we live in a world that has rejected Jesus. And so the spiritual battle rages and its effects are becoming more obvious, I think, as our culture, our society rejects Christianity, walks away from Christ. When you think about it, I guess it makes sense. If Jesus is the source of truth, we shouldn't be surprised that those who reject him no longer have a sense of or an anchor for their sense of what is true. Um, Jesus is the one who is ultimately the source of purpose. So we should not be surprised that people uh, who reject him, who don't know him, don't follow him, have no sense of direction, no purpose, no true north in their life. Jesus is the foundation of forgiveness and reconciliation, so we shouldn't be surprised that forgiveness is gone and the cancel culture is in. But if you're a follower of Jesus, do you realise how privileged you are? When you're cancelled, when life doesn't work out, when you catch COVID, when you struggle with mental illness and disappointment, remember what you know. Remember who you know. Remember what you believe. Remember who you believe in. Jesus Christ. Is God your saviour. He's alive. He's redeemed you. He's reconciled you. He's given you eternal life. Nothing can take that away. I recently read that Martin Luther, you know, the great reformer, the 16th century, um, he'd scratched the word vivit, it's a Latin word, into his desk. Vivit means alive. He scratched that into his desk one day when he was feeling particularly sorry for, sorry for himself, carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders and his wife, in a kind of very interesting way, reminded him that God is uh, Jesus is not dead, he's alive. Martin Luther went down and scratched vivid into his desk so that every time he sat down to do his work, he saw vivid alive. Jesus is alive and he, he knew that that made all the difference in the world. Jesus is God. Jesus is God my Saviour. Jesus is alive. 
that Christian young woman I mentioned at the beginning, you know, she told me that she doesn't understand God. Um, but she does believe the Bible's true. She does believe in who Jesus is. She knows that she's powerless in the face of the forces in her life and she can't understand why God in his goodness wouldn't just take it away. She can't. And she, it's a struggle. But all she says, all I can do is just believe in Jesus. That's all I can do. Do you see, regardless of the problems we face, we can be thankful. Regardless of the difficulties, we can persevere. Regardless of the frustration, we can be patient, like Paul in jail. <laughs> we more than all people have hope and purpose because Jesus is our God. He's the one who is supreme over everything. He's the one who, who has secured our eternity. See, Colossians 1.15 to 20 means that what Romans 8.38 says is true. And I hope you're convinced. I hope that I've helped you be convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers in this world, nothing, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, I'm going to um, close in prayer. And I thought to do that, I, I occurred to me coming over here this morning with Wes that I'd read, read two songs of praise from Revelation about God our Creator and God our Saviour. So let's pray. <coughs> Revelation 4 11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And Revelation 5, 9 and 10 says, Worthy are you to take the scroll, speaking of Jesus, and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation." And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming, coming and becoming one of us so that you could make God known to us, so that you could make salvation real for us. We confess, Lord, that in the difficulties of life, we easily doubt this. Please, Lord, take this word from, from you, by your spirit, write it on our hearts. Help us never to forget that you are our creator and you are our saviour. And like Martin Luther, Lord, please help us all to understand that that makes all the difference. So, Lord, we pray that you'll make this all real for each one of us here, men, women, young and old, um, and, and the children as well. We ask it. In Jesus' name, amen.